Right, well, uh, just to say hello to you, um, particularly if you're a visitor, I'd love to welcome you again and just introduce myself. My name is Adam. I have the joy of leading the church alongside Ian and Malcolm. It's an absolute joy to see you. And uh, what we've been doing, if you're a visitor, is that uh, we've been going through the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and we've been working our way through it. And uh, we've got to the point of Luke 7, and uh, so I'm going to read some scripture to you, and then we're going to just have a little think about uh, what we've got. Okay, so Luke 7, we're starting at verse 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come, they said to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he, that's Jesus, of course, healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. Glory. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have the good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purposes of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? Well, they are like children sitting in the marketplace calling to one another. We played a flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine and you say he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Hey, hey. Big lump of scripture there. Uh, Okay, so how are we going to tackle this? Well, what we're going to do is I'm going to break that scripture down into three chunks. Okay, and we're going to have a look at each chunk. And the first chunk we're going to look at is the uh, verses 18 to 23. So what is going on in this first little chunk? Well, we see... The mighty John the Baptist. Do you remember two or three weeks ago we looked at John the Baptist? Do you remember that? In fact, it was a bit longer than two or three weeks, wasn't it? Do you remember? And we saw the mighty John the Baptist, this man who was amazingly committed to God. Do you remember him? Just amazingly committed to God. What do we, what do we see about this man? We see him doubting. Well, who would have thought that? This, this is the guy 
you know, if you thought there would be one person who would never doubt, it would be John, isn't it? I mean, it, some things just don't go together. It's like, it's like getting through a whole staff meeting and Ian not eating biscuits. <laughs> Those things, you know, they just go together. Yeah, there are some things you would just think would never go together. John has led a kind of revival in Israel. He's the one who recognized Jesus. Do you remember? He said, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin. He had revelation about who Jesus was. Even what he wears is about dedication to God. Do you remember this this camel's hair thing that he wears? Even the diet that he, he has. He doesn't drink wine. Get your head around that. No, terrible. But he does that out of this Nazarite vow to dedication to God. This is a man, he's Mr. Dedicated, Mr. Committed, Mr. Insightful, yet here he is doubting. Wow. So what this passage then does, right at the beginning, it opens up the subject of doubt. And I want this morning to have a look at the subject of doubt. It is an issue for all believers. You're looking like you don't believe me. You're doubting me, are you? Well, there's my point straight away. Yeah, it is an issue for all believers, even the very best of us. The John the Baptist of this world uh, uh, still doubt. And I think it's really important that we face up to that. It is something that we will struggle with. It's part of being a disciple. You see, Jesus, the Son of God, uh, have... uh, uh, Three and a half years, we think, with his 12 disciples. If you would have thought anyone would be razor sharp by the end of that, it would be the 12. Yet what do we see? After three and a half years with Jesus, we still see them doubting. Wow. Just, okay, right. So we acknowledge it's a a thing. It's a real thing. And actually, if we don't acknowledge it's a real thing, I would suggest we can get into trouble as Christians. Um, uh, what I've noticed is, particularly uh, some new believers, is when they start to doubt, they begin to beat themselves up. Do you do that? You beat yourselves up. You say, well, I'm a rubbish Christian. Cause, cause, and that lot all in there, they're all you know, long-time Christians. They, they know how to do this. And they never doubt, of course. But I doubt, so I'm just useless. So perhaps I just won't even bother with it. I've seen people do that. Do you know people like that who, who are so chewed up by doubt We've got to face the reality that it is a reality. Now, your doubts, of course, might be different. It might be the full-on doubt of, well, is God even there then? Does he even exist? But I would suggest for most of us, doubt is a little bit more about the character of God, isn't it? Does God really love me? This thing has just happened to me, but I thought God loved me. Perhaps he doesn't love me. Perhaps he loves everyone else, but he doesn't love me. Anyone ever think like that? Yeah, Yeah? that's two or three of us. Good. You're in good company. So there's all sorts of different doubts. And uh, I would like just to try and open up this scripture uh, to find out why John doubted. And hopefully that's going to help us. So let's take a look at these uh, five verses. And... um, I trust they'll help us to deal with doubt in a healthy way. So there's the question then. Why did John the Baptist, this great strong man of God, why did he doubt? Well, when you start to read the commentators, it appears that John's doubt 
was linked to wrong thinking. John's doubt was linked to wrong thinking, which led to wrong expectations that didn't get met. See, John had a certain understanding of what the Messiah would look like. He thought, he thought Jesus should, should uh, conform to an image that he had of what the Messiah was. And uh, when Jesus doesn't start to do those things, it throws John into a spin. I think, well, who, who is this Jesus then? I thought he would behave in a certain kind of way. And let's have a quick look then at what John expected the Messiah to do. Let's have a look. So do you remember this from Luke 3? John is speaking and he says this. Uh, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So John has expected Jesus, the Messiah, to come with a winnowing fork. That's what he's expecting. He's telling people, you've got to repent because of this wrath that's going to come. He's expecting the Messiah to come with fiery judgment on sinners. That's what he's, that's what he's got into his head. That's what the Messiah will do. And, um, uh, but his disciples have just come to him to, to tell him what Malcolm preached about last week. That Jesus has gone to this centurion. He's gone to a centurion. That's a Roman soldier who looks after a hundred other Romans. These are the people that are keeping Israel in subjugation. These are the people that God ought to be clearing out of the nation in John's mind. That was the common view of the Messiah at that time. But Jesus isn't. Jesus has just healed his servant. So John is thinking, what? And then, and then he goes to Nain and he raises the dead. Do you remember that? Yeah. Goes to that and he, and he raises this uh, child, a young man, and gives him back. To, well, that's mercy. Well, that's not what John is expecting from the Messiah. So what's happened here? Bluntly, John has got his theology wrong. He's got a wrong view. He's believing something that isn't quite right. Because the truth is, we know that Jesus one day will come as judge. Don't we? When Jesus returns again, one day it says he will judge the living and the dead. The dead will be raised to life. And all those who are living, so that's all of us, will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And he will judge us. And it, for those who believe, it's your works, not your sin, that will be judged. But for those who do not believe, it will be your sin. And that will be a terrible day for those who don't know the Lord. So, John has got all of this muddled. He hasn't understood that it's on the second coming, the return of Christ, that this judgment will come. He thinks it's on the first coming of Jesus. So he's nearly there, isn't he? Yeah. Nearly got it right, but he's just got his timing wrong. So that's what uh, is thought was happening with John. And the consequence of this little error is that John is now very confused and because of that, it's beginning to doubt who Jesus is. Do you see the impact of doubt? What, uh, the impact of believing something that's wrong? So uh, it, it just shows you, doesn't it, the consequences of uh, believing something that isn't 
right. You know, even if you have known God work powerfully in your life, like John the Baptist had. John had seen a kind of a little revival going on in Israel. This is a great man who stood up. Yet even great men and women who've done amazing things for God, if you believe something that's wrong, what it will end up doing is producing something unhelpful in your life. I guess that's why Paul tells Timothy, he says this, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Watch your doctrine, what you believe. Watch what you believe closely. And he goes on to say this, if you do, it will save both you and your hearers. Save? Save from what? Well, save from confusion and doubt, which is where John is. Would have been good advice for John. You with me? Okay. So question for you. How are you doing with what you believe? Are you watching it closely? Are you watching your doctrine closely? What is informing your belief structure? Is it daytime TV? Because you'll be very confused if it is. Is it just popular culture? Is it even the latest Christian paperback? Now, look, it's good to read. Christian paperbacks are very helpful, and I would really encourage you to be reading those. But actually, sometimes you can say, oh, this is a really good book. And you can be enthused by it, but you constantly have to say, yeah, but does it agree with the word of God? Otherwise, I'm informing myself with something that's just not quite right. Doesn't confirm. It doesn't conform to the word of God. See, one of the things that we have a tendency of doing, all humans have a tendency to try and create God in their own image. Do you know that? You know that phrase? Um, And what happens is we have a preference for certain things about God. And most of us like, if I can put it this way, his softer virtues. We like his love. That's good, isn't it? We like the fact that he's kind, don't we? That he is gracious. He is merciful. He is patient. Oh, yes. And people here would say things like this. That's my God. Well, that's true. It's all true. But what we also have a tendency to do is to try and avoid some of his tougher virtues, his harder virtues, things like holiness, righteousness, justice, the reality of hell, the reality of sin. Mm, I'm not so keen on those. If you're anything like me, yes, I prefer the first category. I'd like to stay over here. And we just have a tendency then to try and create, well, inevitably, we create our image of God. I want to say this to you. Sometimes, if, you have, if God isn't challenging you, sometimes confusing you, isn't a bit baffling to you, if, if the God that you know is always comfortable, what have you been shaped by? Because the word of God constantly should challenge you about the nature of God. Okay, so, let me ask you another question. Are you offended by God? 
Are you offended by some of the views that God has? Because I tell you, lots of people in our culture are, aren't they? They don't like some of the things that he says about, well, why, why is sex only for marriage between a man and a woman? I don't, I don't like that. They would say that, wouldn't they, our culture? Uh, it's important for us to ask, are there certain things about God that offend us? If you're honest. And have you rejected those things? Jesus said, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Okay. How did John then deal with his doubt? Well, the first thing I think we see in this passage here is that John took his doubt to the right place. He went to Jesus. I want to say to you, if you have doubt, the right thing to do with it is to go and talk to Jesus about it. Go and unpack it. So John just says blatantly through his disciples, he just says, are you the one who is to come or should we expect another? This is all my confusion and doubt here. Jesus, the danger with doubt is this, that we try and bury it, that we can be ashamed of it or we're embarrassed about it. So we just say, well, never mind about that. I'll um, just ignore it. I just want to encourage you with doubt. Go to Jesus. If you don't, doubts can fester. Has anyone ever let that happen? Yeah? Yeah? Okay, don't do that. Be open and honest with your doubts to God. You know what? He is big enough to deal with your doubts. I think some of us have a little frightened thing to think, well, perhaps God can't deal with my doubt. Let me just say to you, God's God. He can deal with your doubt. Take it to him. Okay, so John goes to Jesus and he says, uh, this is my doubt. How does Jesus now help deal with the doubt? Well, what Jesus simply does is this. He points out the truth to Jesus. He points out the truth. He points out what's wrong with John's theology. He says this, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. What has Jesus just done there? He's just very nicely told John, you need to go back to the book of Isaiah and read again how the Messiah is defined. He's very nicely brought a little bit of correction to John to say, John, you're believing something that's inaccurate. Go to Isaiah and it will clarify. And then you will see all the things I am doing are exactly the things that were prophesied about the Messiah. And truth has now come to John. He's replaced what is wrong with what is right. Absolutely essential. Now, in the process of all of this, I'd like us just to have another think about doubts because we've just all admitted that most of us are affected at times by doubt and I'd like to try and turn doubt on its head uh, with the help of this guy. Who's read any Tim Keller books? I really, really recommend Tim Keller. I just like the way this man thinks and uh, just so recommend almost any book by Tim Keller. Get a hold of it. And I was uh, listening to him uh, on a, like a TV a, a broadcast thing. And he said this, doubts were one of the best things that ever happened to me 
doubts, provided you deal with them honestly, and that's key, can propel you towards God in a new way. Now, um, I think doubts are helpful. He says this because doubt is a bit like a signpost. See, most of us, when doubt comes in, we think, oh no, oh no, oh no, the doubt's going to get me. Oh, I've just got to try and avoid it. I want to turn that on its head. I want to say to you, doubt is like a signpost. It's giving you some really important information about what you actually believe. Doubt's really helpful in that sense. You see, doubt is a good giveaway. Truth doesn't produce doubt. If you believe truth, it doesn't produce doubt. But if you believe something that isn't right, it will produce doubt. Do you see what I mean? So what that's telling you is if I am doubting right now, that tells me I've got something that isn't quite right in terms of what I believe. Hello? Yep. So if you are struggling with doubt this morning, and I just felt in my heart there would be a number of people who are struggling, I would suggest then it's time to ask a question. What am I believing that is producing this doubt? And what's the truth that will replace this doubt? What am I believing that's producing this doubt is exactly what John the Baptist is doing. Believing something that's wrong is producing doubt. Jesus replaces the, the, uh, the uh, wrong understanding with truth. I want to suggest that's the same process that needs to happen to you. Once you understand the truth, you can stop believing what's false and the doubt can be removed. Good, there we are. Let's move on. Let's look at the next section. So this is a rather uh, bizarre section. I'll just read it to you again. So John's messages had gone. Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. Then what did you go out to see? A man uh, dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, and I will prepare your way before him. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. You know, when you doubt, where does it leave you? How do you feel when you doubt? Any suggestions? Empty, a good word. Depressed. Confused. Yeah. Sorry? Unsettled. In other words, you feel rubbish, don't you? That's where doubt leaves you. It leaves you feeling, oh, am I failing at this? I think empty is a good word. That's how I can feel uh, when I doubt. How does Jesus then go on to speak about John. He says this, this is a great man. This is a prophet, more than a prophet. Actually, he says, look, he's listed in scripture. He has a unique job, this man, to go before me. He is solid and strong. He's not swayed by the wind. He's not concerned with his own luxury. He's a magnificent man. Jesus affirms John. 
He gives him the truth, first of all, and then he affirms him. This man has a unique place in history as far as God is concerned. See, doubt leaves you feeling devastated. But Jesus honors John and affirms him. I want to suggest to you, if you've been doubting today, God wants to affirm you again. If you've been struggling with doubt, maybe you don't feel very good about yourself right now. Maybe you feel all of those things that have been listed, confused, ashamed, unsure, unworthy. Jesus affirmed John, I think God wants to affirm you today. So let me remind you of a few things about you. The Bible says this, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible says that God created you in in your mother's womb. When I uh, read that psalm, it's like I see God's hands in your mum's womb, fashioning you, tenderly, caring, caringly, putting you together, weaving strands together. He knows the abilities, the, the strengths, the character, the quality he's putting into you. God doesn't make rubbish. He makes uh, what's excellent. <clears throat> and that's, you also, you know, have a unique role. Like John has a unique role for Jesus, I want to say this to you. You also have a unique role. No one else will have the contacts and the friends and the understanding that you have. Will they? No one else will be able to speak to the people that you can speak to. You have a unique uh, role. In other words, God has a plan for your life. Scripture also says this, doesn't it? It says this, that um, uh, God has prepared good works in advance for you to do. That's part of the plan that he has for you uh, and your life. Let's also take some encouragement from what Jesus says here. He says, yet I tell you, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. Wow. That's what we've come into. We've come into the righteousness of Christ. His spirit lives in us and we in him. Uh, John didn't have that. Uh, Yet Jesus is saying the least of us, the most feeble Christian, actually has more potential and capacity than John does. That's the position that you and I are in. That is amazing. God is able to use you powerfully to achieve uh, incredible things, even if you don't feel it right now. (laughs) Are you encouraged? Good. Okay. Let's look at the last section then. This takes a bit of getting your head around this section. Uh, Just reading it a few times. But what uh, Jesus is doing now is he's taking an honest look at the generation that he's currently living in. And he's describing, really, the attitude of the people. And it seems that some people rejected the message of God when John brought it, because John's lifestyle was too strict. And what they were saying about John was, well, uh, he's too strict, he's too religious, and uh, uh, look at the man, he doesn't even drink wine. He's clearly mad. That's what they're saying, you know, oh, he's just way, he's way over the top, so he's got a demon, he's mad. 
Yet they say about Jesus, oh, well, now, Jesus, he drinks wine, and he eats bread, and he goes to parties, and he's very friendly, so he's not religious enough. He's too strict. He's not strict enough. So they've got this kind of, well, no, I don't want God because you're not strict enough, and I don't want God because you're too strict, so I'm just going to say no to everything, really. Sometimes this is referred to as the parable of the brats. (laughs) I want to say... Some people always find a reason to reject God. And that's what's going on here. They wanted God to dance to their tune. And it's the same today. Just felt that there could well be people here who, uh, over the years, you've heard God knock on your door many times. He's been knocking on your door. And you have always found a reason why you would say no. And I reckon, I reckon if this is true, uh, they're probably also, uh, those reasons could vary wildly. Sometimes you could say, oh God, that's far too heavy. You know, I want to live as I want to live. Don't, don't stop me living the way I, that's too rest- restrictive. I don't like it. I don't like it. And then other times you'll probably say, well, God, you should have brought judgment on those people because they, you know, they, what, they, they shouldn't get away with that. The Jimmy Savills of this world, they shouldn't get away with that. So what you're saying is sometimes God's too strict, other times he's not strict enough. I just want to appeal to you, if you are here and you've never accepted Christ, although you have heard that knocking, you've heard that knocking. I want to appeal to you, I want to say this, it's just time to stop arguing with God. It's time to stop thinking that you know better than God. It's time to listen to his message of forgiveness and faith. It's time to stop expecting God to dance to to, to your tune all the time. And it's time to say, Lord, I submit to your tune now. Time to come to this author of life. Bible refers to God as the author of life. Let me tell you, you don't know better than the author The author knows what he's doing. The author has come to give you life and life to the full. It's time to come home, actually. It's time to come home to your heavenly father. If you have never received him, can I just say, today is a day to receive him and not to say no to him. Romans 10 says this, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is relevant for you today. I'm going to pray a prayer now. And I'm just going to read it out to you. Can I ask you all please to close your eyes? Just for a bit of privacy really more than anything. I'm going to read a prayer. I want to say to you, this is Jesus knocking on your door again. And uh, this is an opportunity to receive him. And I'm just going to pray a prayer. And if uh, you want to say yes, can I just encourage you to say amen at the end of it. So Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I have done wrong in my life. You might just want to think of a few things there. Please forgive me 
I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. I acknowledge that you are the Lord. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit and be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.